pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. Y'all, it's Christmas, and I'm just not there yet, I have to tell you. It, it takes me longer. I can't go straight from Thanksgiving to Christmas. I have to get warmed up. It takes me like a whole tin full of peanut butter balls or something to, uh, to really get ready for, for Christmas. But I promise I'll, I'll get there before we all have to be there together. Is that, is that a promise? Uh, cafe, we love you guys so much. Welcome to you. I hope it's a great day of worship in the cafe room for you all as well. Anybody joining us by audio or video podcast, you honor us by finding us and joining into the Word of God with us. Everybody, open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah chapter 40. Just to let you know, I, I've been uh, sort of stuck in Isaiah 40 since the summer, since my surgery. Uh, this has been the chapter that God has used to heal me, uh, body, mind, and soul. And I just want to share a portion of this great chapter with you this morning as we uh, begin to talk about missions. For the next three weeks here at Woodburn Baptist Church, we're going to be focusing on missions. And, and I love that. I, I love that. It's not so much that, that I'm ready to celebrate Christmas, but I am very ready to talk about missions because I love missions. God has called me to be a pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. I'm not called to be a church planter. I'm not called to be a missionary, but I love church planting and I love missions and I love pastoring Woodburn Baptist Church more than anything in the world. I recognize that my part in fulfilling the Great Commission is to be the very, very best pastor I can be here at Woodburn Baptist Church, and that's what I've been trying to do for, for 20 years. Uh, we have to continue to see how God can grow us and use us to fulfill this great commission to go into all the world and make disciples of all people. Let me share some numbers with you because I think they're actually pretty exciting. In 2016, which is next year, it's right around the corner, this church is projected to spend, say it, $184,300 toward missions next year. $184,300 toward missions. That's just budgeted money, but that represents 22% of our total budget. I don't know how many churches in the world give 22% of their total budget, but this is what we're projecting to do in 2016. Now get this, the goal for our gift to Jesus for the world is $50,000. That's on top of this money. That's not a part of it. This is on top of what we're already budgeting, $50,000 for the gift of Jesus for the world, which we'll be collecting two weeks from today. So you put that all together, and that's $234,300 for missions next year. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. $234,300 for missions next year. That is absolutely mind-blowing. Did you know that? Did you know that that's the numbers? Do you realize that that is how this church gives to missions? That, that That's thrilling. Now, the gift of Jesus for the world, I remind you, we're going to be collecting that in two weeks. That's $50,000. You can see how that money will be spent. It's broken down in your worship folder this morning. Pray about giving understand the responsibility that you and I all have to give. We need to give. We need to support missions. Now, I don't know what you can do, and I'll never know what you do, but I just want you to please pray and give very, very generously. This is the great commission. We need a great offering because the purpose and mission that God has given the church is a great commission, and it takes money. Everything takes money. Now, I know that some of you can't give much, and if you can't give much, you're not going to be giving much. I recognize that. But some of you can do a great deal, and if you can do more, you need to do more. You need to ask God how much you can give, and we just need to give. The goal is 50000 
dollars. Those numbers actually uh, suggest something very, very good about our church, and, and I'm proud of that. I'm proud of it because of what Isaiah 40 calls us to do. Take a look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6. These numbers matter because of what this passage calls us to do and be. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6. Read with me. A voice said, shout. I asked, what should I shout? Shout that people are like grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. And so it is with people. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintops. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem, shout. Do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. Let's stop right there. O Zion, messenger, herald of good news, shout it from the mountaintop, shout it louder. Do not be afraid. I, I love that. We are called to be messengers of, of good news. I, I like these numbers, $184,300. It's 22% of our total budget. I love that, $50,000. When I was a kid, that was more money than they gave away as a prize on Wheel of Fortune. You understand? That is so much money. Altogether, $234,000. $1,300 for missions next year. I love this for what it suggests about our church. But can I share some other numbers with you? They're also church numbers. As you know, we've been doing this annual, our first annual discipleship survey here at church. And a number of you have taken that, that survey by now, and those numbers are coming in. If you haven't taken the survey yet, please take the survey. We especially need younger people and men. Right now, every old lady in the church has taken it. We need men and we need young people to take it so that we have a, a, a good sample, a good survey of our church. These numbers are very important because they tell us how our church is doing. I think if we ask the right questions, we may learn something about the health and the growth toward discipleship of, of our congregation. We're not looking at you personally. We're looking at our church altogether. There are questions on the discipleship survey about missions and evangelism, and you start getting a, a, a different kind of picture. These are good numbers, but, but some of the number, other numbers aren't so good. One of the questions was this, when was the last time you personally shared the plan of salvation with somebody? When was the last time you personally shared the plan of salvation with, with somebody? 8% of you said never. 17% of you said that it was years ago. 32% said maybe sometime in the last few years. The bottom line is that in this church, more than half of us haven't actually tried to lead anyone to Jesus in years. More than half of us haven't actually tried to lead anyone to Jesus in years. 
Are you satisfied with that? What in the world are we doing wrong? More than half of us haven't actually tried to lead anyone to Jesus in years. One of the other questions was that when you actually have the opportunity to witness one-on-one, are you eager to do so? Do you know what to say? Do do, do you know how to to do that? 40% of us say that we seldom or or we never feel eager to witness or, or even know what to say. 40% of us say we just never feel eager to witness or even know what to say. Now, the typical person who's taken the survey so far has has been a member of the church for a while and has been a Christian for 40 years or or less. Understand, these are supposedly mature believers, and and this is the picture that we get of our church. 40% seldom or never feel eager to witness, and half of us haven't actually tried to lead anyone to Jesus in years. How do you hold those numbers together? I mean, are we about missions or not? The the, the scripture makes it pretty clear. The scripture says, shout. I ask, shout what? I mean, that's what he says, shout shout what? Notice that before the gospel is good news, it's bad news. The voice said, shout. I asked, what should I shout? Just shout that people are like the grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in a field. The grass withers, the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. And so it is with people. The grass withers and the flowers fade. Everything that you see, everything about this world is passing away. Now, that's nearly impossible for us to grasp because for the most part, it all just seems so permanent. It it seems like it'll always be here because you went to bed last night and you woke up this morning and when you went to bed, it was all here and you wake up this morning and it's all here. And it usually takes something dramatic. It usually takes something traumatic to to shake us out of that illusion that all of this lasts forever. It, It doesn't. You don't last forever. Your your life here on earth, it doesn't last forever. Not a single thing that you're going to go into debt to buy for Christmas is even going to last into 2017. Do you understand? Nothing lasts. And for some reason, we continue to invest everything in the things of this world as if we could actually buy anything in this world that lasts. As if there's anything in this world that actually could satisfy us. There's not a thing on your Christmas wish list that could possibly make you happy. Don't you understand that by now? Haven't you learned that yet? When have you ever received any material possession that actually filled you up or satisfied you? And yet we continue to invest and pour all of our lives into having more things, into, into anchoring ourselves, trying to hold on to this world, and it all passes away. Your life is like the grass. It, it, it flowers, it withers, it fades, it's gone. Your life is like that. My life is like that. So the voice says, shout. And the man says, shout what? 
We need to start out by telling the world that none of this lasts forever. Everything is like grass. It withers, it fades. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. There's one thing that lasts forever. There's one thing that stands forever. There's one thing that will satisfy you. There is one thing that will somehow quench that horrible aching thirst in your soul. And it is the word of God. So when the voice says shout, you're supposed to shout the word of God. You're supposed to be there proclaiming to the world that there is something that lasts, something that endures. You're supposed to know that enough. You're supposed to believe that enough so that you're willing to tell the world world because the world needs to know oh zion verse 9 messenger of good news that that's what we're called messengers heralds is the word there herald of the gospel herald of good news shout from the mountaintop shout it louder louder shout and do not be afraid well, Brother Tim, you're getting a little loud right now, and I don't really like loud things, and I'm a quiet person, I don't typically get loud, I don't like to raise my voice. So what do you think the scripture means when it says shout? Shout it louder, a little bit louder. You remember Gomer Pyle and Sergeant Carter going, I can't hear you. Do you remember? Louder. Now, I, I know you're not typically loud, but some of us still have places where we go and when we come back, we're hoarse. You know what I'm talking about? Tell me a place where you might go and you might come back and you might, you, you've, you've used your voice up. Well, tell me, well, where do you go then you use your voice up? Ball games? Yeah? A lot of, you don't have to go to a ball game at your house, <laughs> sitting in your living room. You know, you're like, and, and you yell yourself hoarse at the house. Yelling at your television, probably medication for that, you know, just, just saying. Where else? Ball games? What else? Where else would you just use your voice to the point where you just lose it? Concerts? Yeah. Any place where the music is really loud? Any place where you dance? This is my problem because if I go somewhere the music is loud, I try to talk all night. I try to talk over all of that. So when it's all over, you know, my, my voice is gone. That's why I have to do all my dancing on Friday night so I can preach on I'm, ki <laughs> I'm kidding, y'all. I do, but I'm, I shouldn't have told you. Yeah, no. <laughs> Now, any place where the music is loud, any place where the volume is loud, you have to speak over that. Some of you use your voice at work. You, you talk all day. You're a teacher, perhaps, or a coach. Cheerleaders in high school, they do all that yelling. And then by the time they're like 30-year-old women, they all talk like this. You know, these cute little girls talk like this because they shouted their voice to nothing when they were in high school. Yeah, did you remember the cheerleaders? Do you remember the pep rallies? Y'all still do pep rallies? Do they let you do pep rallies? I remember Rich Pond School way back in the old days. We'd have pep rallies. And understand, uh, our team, you know, we're, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade boys. Our basketball team was like this tall, and all of us were about this wide, you know. And they, they put them out there, and, and the, the uniforms are hanging off of them. And, and we have a pep rally to pep them up. You know, so our little cheerleaders who are also about this tall and about this wide, the cheerleaders are out there. And, and so we had this, this cheer. We'd say, we're the Bulldogs, couldn't be prouder. Can't hear us now, we'll yell a little louder. We're the Bulldogs. And we would do that until we're all just, couldn't be prouder. I mean, just loud. 
my kids are screaming, the veins popping out in their throats about being the bulldogs. Couldn't be prouder. You look at us, we were not a proud bunch, you, you know, but in that moment, man, where you can't hear us now, we'll yell a little louder. It's just amazing what we will use our voices for. It's amazing what we will raise our voices for. If you could save the world by yelling for the Kentucky Wildcats, some of you would already be evangelists, you understand? You would have already saved the whole world. You will use your voice and all your volume to, to shout about something like that. So the scripture says shout, and the man says shout what? So shout what? Probably lots of things you could use your voice to shout for, but only one thing that's truly worthy of using your voice to shout for, only one thing worthy of stepping up onto the highest mountaintop and shouting louder and louder and louder. And it is what the Bible calls good news. It's good news. Shout it loud, the scripture says, and be fearless about it. Don't be afraid. Now, that's the thing. We're afraid. What are we afraid of? Afraid of looking like a fool, most of us. I can news free, man. We look like fools all the time. I mean, seriously. I mean, is that your goal in life, not to look like a fool? Because we didn't know, you know. What, you think that's like the one thing that's going to tip you over into fool category? Don't look like a fool. Western students have seen, what's, what's his name, Reverend Jim, Sister Cindy, who pops out there every year. He's done it for 100 years. How old is that dude? I mean, he comes out and just screams at Western students. He shouts. And, and it's a difficult day, actually, to be a believer on campus because he is so loud and he's so obnoxious and, and he's just mean. I mean, he's telling the whole campus that they're going to hell, and that's true. I mean, sadly, it's the truest thing anybody could say. The problem is when he says it, he, he, he doesn't have a tear in his eye. He doesn't have a, a break in his voice. He sounds like everybody's going to hell, but he'd be more than happy to light the match. You understand? It doesn't come across as a man with a broken heart for the world. It doesn't come across even as a man sharing good news. It just comes across as mean and coarse and unloving. And there's something about the man or something about the way he seems and comes across that really doesn't manage to get a hearing for the good news. Maybe he's had somebody listen through the years, in which case maybe he's done more than some of us, but, but, but still, most of us don't want to be that guy. It's just yelling and obnoxious, and there have been a lot of obnoxious people, a lot of people who've given Jesus a, a bad name by shouting his name and associating Jesus' name with things that Jesus shouldn't be associated with. I get that. You don't want to be that person. You don't want to look like a fool. You don't want to somehow misrepresent Christ or... You, you say in the survey, you don't always know what to say. I understand that. Sometimes I don't know what to say either. But something's better than nothing. I can just say that. I mean, when our calling is to be heralds of good news, messengers of good news, I mean, you got to have something to say. Something. What are you f afraid of? Afraid nobody will listen? I don't know that they will. When you shout from the mountaintops, I, I, I suppose a lot of people hear and 
And, and what happens from there is, I don't know that you have anything to do or say about that. You, you understand your job, your calling, our, our, our mission is to be heralds, messengers of good news. All we can do is tell it. It's not our responsibility to save people, to convince people. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Did you understand that? But basically, to tell the good news, it doesn't require volume, but it does require boldness. You at least have to be willing to stand apart, to, to stand up on the mountaintop, is the way the scripture says. But that doesn't literally mean you got to get up high, stand up on the tables at the cafeteria and start screaming at people. I don't know if that's what it means. One day it might come to that. But for the most part, it's just this willingness to stand apart, this willingness to raise your voice for the sake of the truth, this willingness to, to fulfill your, your God-given purpose to be a messenger of good news and to use your voice in such a way where somehow that message rises above the noise of the world. I don't know that it takes a lot of volume. It does take a lot of boldness, and this is what so many of us lack. Boldness and obedience, obedience to our call and boldness for the message to stand up and tell people the truth. Well, Pastor Jim, nobody wants to hear it. The world we live in, nobody wants to hear it. I don't believe that for a moment. I don't believe that. I believe that the world is aching to hear good news. I believe that the world is aching to know that there is a God who loves them. I believe that the world is aching to know that there is forgiveness for sins and hope for the world. I really do believe that because I get out and talk to people. And people are lost, and people are lonely, and people are bored, and people need meaning and purpose in their life. And this is why we have good news to share. You don't know what to say? Well, here's your whole script right here. It says it. This is what you're supposed to say in verse 9. Shout it louder. Shout from the mountaintop. Shout and do not be afraid. Tell them, here is your God. That, that's it. New Living Translation says your God is coming. What it basically says is, here is your God. It's kind of like on those late shows when they say, here's Jimmy Fallon. You understand? It's just an introduction. That's it. Here's Johnny. Tell it louder. Tell everybody, here is your God. All you're called to do is make the introduction. That's it. One of the most famous introductions in Warren County was made by a former pastor of our church. His name was Wallace Morris. I wish y'all could have known Bromo. You really appreciate me <laughs> if you could have known Bromo. Yeah, Bromo is awesome. I love Brother Morris. I love Brother Morris. Older man, Bromo was once given the honor of introducing Charles Stanley when Charles Stanley spoke in Bowling Green. So Brother Morris got to introduce Charles Stanley. All right. So Brother Morris stepped up onto the platform and began to introduce Charles Stanley. And he introduced him, and he introduced him, and he introduced him. And then he started again introducing him, and he introduced him, and he introduced him for 45 minutes. Charles Stanley was a little bit miffed. Understand? Yeah, Charles Stanley was visibly upset. Bromo took all of the time that Charles Stanley had to preach. Use it up for the introduction. Understand? God bless Brother Morris's soul. That was his moment of glory. He loved that. But I'm just reminding you that you don't have to say that much when your only job is to introduce. You understand? 
you're just introducing, you're just trying to bring people to God. It, it's amazing. Here is your God. That first word is the best word, here. You're seeing people think if there's a God anywhere, he must be far, far away. But no, this is the good news part of it. He's here. He's here. He is not far away. In Christ, he has come right down here near to us, and he is never far away. He is close to you as your own breath. You just don't know him. You understand? He's here, right here. That is the message of Christmas. It is the message of the gospel. That's the great news. He's here. Not off in heaven. He's not the old man upstairs somewhere. Do you understand? He's here. Here is your God. That's amazing. Your God. You're introducing people to their own God because there's only one God, you understand? Only one maker of heaven and earth. And when you tell somebody about God, you're telling them about the God who formed them from the dust and put the breath in their lungs. You're telling them about the God who breathed his own breath in their lungs. You understand? Here is your God. You don't know him, but I want you to know him. Here he is. And make the introduction and then just shut up. Make the introduction and step out of the way because once God is in the picture, once that person is aware of God's presence, God's nearness, once the Holy Spirit comes in, the Holy Spirit does the saving. The Holy Spirit does the convicting of sin. The Holy Spirit does the judging. The Holy Spirit does all of it. You don't have to do the saving. You don't have to do the forgiving. You don't have to do the convincing. You do need to be the messenger. Make the introduction. I love what Andy Stanley says, one of my favorite quotes about evangelism. I can't make people fall in love with Jesus, but I can set them up on a date. You get it? Can't make people fall in love with Jesus. You can't, but you can set them up on a date. Step out onto the mountaintop, shout, shout what? Shout, here is your God. Tell them louder. Say it without fear. Here is your God. You can't make them fall in love, but you can set up a date. Here is your God. Messenger of good news, we're called in verse 9. Messengers of good news we are. A few more numbers. I'm told, and I'm not a good numbers person, so help, bear with me here. Seven billion people now on the planet. Seven billion. In the next few weeks, all of them will be at Walmart on Campbell Lane. <laughs> in line in front of me. Yeah, they'll, they'll all be there. Seven billion people. Okay, so let that number, you can't even imagine. I can't either. But understand, coincidentally or whatever, 3.5 billion, that, that's half that number. 3.5 billion people on earth right now have no opportunity to hear the gospel. That's half. Half the people in the world have never heard the gospel and have no realistic opportunity of ever hearing it in their lifetime. And we got the internet. And we have the ability to hop on a plane and land anywhere on the planet. And yet three and a half billion people have never heard and really don't have a very good chance of hearing in their lifetime. Add to that that in the United States, if, if you survey lost, unchurched, un, un, unbelieving people, one out of every five of those people say they don't even know a Christian personally. Now, we're talking about our neighbors now. We're talking about the United States. One in five lost people say they don't even know a Christian. 
How is that possible? Interestingly, if you go a little bit deeper in the numbers from our church survey, did I mention I still want y'all to keep taking that, please, in the coming week? If you look a little deeper in those numbers, as I said, half of us haven't shared the gospel in years. It's interesting, when you begin to filter those results, when you just begin to look at newer Christians and younger people, those numbers change dramatically. The younger people in our congregation and the newer Christians in our congregation are much more likely to have shared the gospel in the last few weeks or even the last few days. Our college students, our new Christians, more likely to have shared the gospel in the last few weeks or the last few days. When you ask them if they have the opportunity to witness one-on-one, are they eager to do that and, and do they know what to say? Overwhelmingly, they're eager to do it. But bottom line, it's just realistic, and I'm just going to, let's just talk practically right now. It is obvious to me that the present moment in this congregation, only some of us are sharing the gospel. Only some of us really have a heart for this. Only some of us are willing, able, and, and somewhat likely to do it. Now, that is devastating to me, but it's still the fact of where we are. So let me at least say this. If you're one of those people and you're, you're not doing it and, and, and you don't have any intention of doing it, you need to at least be willing to send the ones who will. And you need to be writing some checks. Let's just be honest. If you're not going to do it, then you still have a responsibility to see that it gets done. You ought to be writing some checks because we do have people who are doing it, who will do it. They just need to get there. You understand? If somebody's supposed to step out on a mountaintop and shout it and that's not going to be you, then you ought to at least be the one making sure that the one who will do it gets to the mountaintop. You have to send them. And honestly, in Scripture, that role of sending is every bit as important as, as, as the role of going. I mean, somebody has to go, but somebody has to send. You're one or the other, but, but there aren't any just sitters. You understand? That's not in the equation, that there are some people who just get to sit it out. No, no, no. You're going or you're sending. And if you're sending, that probably boils down to praying your guts out for them and funding them. We fund them. That's why our missions budget is so big. And I'm telling you, it's not big enough. The $50,000 gift to Jesus for the world, that's piddling. It doesn't go far because there's a world to reach. And there are people who would go if we would fund them, if we would send them. They just got to get there. You understand? Now, I'm not giving you an excuse not to do anything. I'm not saying that you can just write checks because here's the thing. Your own responsibility to preach the gospel is not something you can pay someone else to do. Your own responsibility to preach the gospel is not something you can pay somebody else to do. But others can go where you can't go. And others are able and are called to go to places that you and I aren't called to go to. But we're still responsible to see that the good news gets proclaimed there. We need to send them. We need to fund them. That's why we need to give and give and give to missions. I'm not saying give till it hurts because some of you, if you gave a dime, that hurts. I mean, I've seen you. I know. I mean, you can pinch a penny. You can pinch a booger out of, out of Abraham Lincoln's nose. That's you can pinch a penny that tight. I understand. So any amount of giving hurts some of you. You just don't give. But So I'm, I'm inviting you to give till it feels good. 
Give till it feels good. If it hurts, if it's something that just really just irks you to give, then you're not giving enough. Why don't you just keep on giving till it feels good? If, if you think that I'm being crazy there, then you've never given till it feels good. Give. Give sacrificially. Give. But at the same time, you got a responsibility to preach the gospel, and you can't pay somebody else to do it. You got family. You got friends. You got a world right around you that you're called to go into and make disciples. Half of us haven't even tried to lead somebody to Jesus in years. Back this summer happened so quickly. Um, Sean Helsley, one of our church guys. And wasn't he good? He's so good. Sean had um, first that surgery because he had the hernia in his diaphragm and his stomach literally came up around his heart. Never heard of anything like that. Had surgery to correct that. Do you remember that? That was how it all started. But after that surgery, Sean didn't have his voice. His didn't know if it was damage in the surgery or so it turns out probably just the cancer. He ended up with esophageal cancer. It's just gone. He just died so fast. Back in June, uh, gosh, just weeks before his death, he wrote this. It was, it was posted uh, on Re-Up Ministries, a men's ministry that Sean was so devoted to. He wrote a piece called My Voice. I want to read a piece of it. If you follow the version live event, I've put a link to the entire thing. You need to read the entire thing, but, but this is just a piece of it. These are Sean Helsey's words. I am three weeks post-op as of today, and I'm still a mess. The worst thing of all is that my laryngitis has worsened, and I can barely speak. I think if I could speak, I'd feel better. I think it would help with every other aspect of my recovery, but I can't speak. I have no voice. I've now been referred to yet another kind of physician to assess potential damage to my vocal cords. I'll see that doctor later this week. Right now, I don't know when or if I will speak normally again. My voice, which is one of those things I took completely for granted 15 to 16 weeks ago, has been taken from me. I use that voice daily in my vocation, and I am limited right now in what I can do there. I help to lead a small group of teenage boys at church, and I've been unable to do that. I can't even conduct a normal conversation with someone sitting right in front of me. I've tried to take my role as a disciple maker seriously. I've tried to say yes to opportunities that would put me in the right places to make disciples. Have I done enough? Absolutely not. Can I ever do enough? Absolutely not. Even so, God had given me a voice for a reason. Now I regret not doing more when I had a voice. Not for one moment did I ever imagine that one day that voice might no longer be there. Maybe with more time and treatment, my voice will return. Maybe it won't. I guess what's in my thoughts today 
is to encourage every one of you that has a voice to use that voice for his glory. Use it for the most important reason it's been given to you. Tell people about Jesus. They need to know. And you have the ability to tell them. You have a voice. And you have a purpose. You are to be a messenger of good news. So shout it. Shout it loud and shout it fearlessly. Shout. Pray with me. Half of us, Lord, we just blather on about stupid stuff. We just talk, we talk ourselves hoarse. But we haven't managed to talk about Jesus in years. Haven't even tried to be any kind of messenger of any kind of good news, Lord. We talk all the time. But the name of Jesus just doesn't come out. Half of us. Half of us. And then one of the men who actually was doing it, Lord, his voice is silent now. God, will you not raise up some people with voices, with boldness, with courage and obedience? You've called all of us to be messengers of good news. You've called all of us to go and all of us to send and all of us to preach. But somehow, Lord, we have a lot of non-participants in the Great Commission, God. Help us. Help us. While we go on and on and on about all of the things that we will talk about, Lord, the world goes on and on and on its way to hell. And we don't care. We may write a check. That's the easy part. We will not use our voices. Money won't bring people to you, oh Jesus. You need messengers. You need witnesses. You need people with boldness and obedience who will stand up and tell it. Oh Lord, as a church, we want to be messengers. We want to do our part. We want to see that all of your purposes for this church are fulfilled. But it can never happen, Lord, until we're willing to give sacrificially of our money, of our time, sacrifice, Lord, our very selves, Lord, sacrifice our dignity, sacrifice our words, Lord. Every one of us, it can't be half of us, it can't be 40%. It's a giant world, it is a great commission, it is a big gospel, and you need many, many, many mouths. Oh, Jesus, you have saved us, you love us, and you love the world. Will you make us bold enough, loud enough to spread the word? We ask these things 
in the name of Jesus for the sake of the world. Amen. Stand together. Altar's open if you wish to come and pray. If you have a public decision.